0: Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's *The Wise Man's Fear* page by page. This is page six hundred and ninety-three. Turning, I saw Felurian standing in the center of the pavilion, her expression sad. For a moment, I thought she might protest my leaving, but she did nothing of the sort. Moving to my side, she fastened the shade around my shoulders, reminding me of a mother dressing her child against the cold. Even the butterflies that followed her seemed melancholy. She led me through the forest for hours until we came to a pair of tall gray stones. She drew up the hood of my shade and bid me close my eyes. Then she led me in a brief circle, and I felt a subtle change in the air. When I opened my eyes, I could tell this forest was not the same one I had been walking through a moment before. The strange tension in the air was gone. This was the mortal world. I turned to Filurion. My lady, I said, I have nothing to give you before I go, except your promise to return. Her voice was lily soft, with a whisper of warning. I smiled. I mean I have nothing to leave you with, lady. Except remembrance, she leaned close. Closing my eyes, I bid her farewell with few words and many kisses. Then I left. I would like to say I did not look back, but that would not be the truth. The sight of her almost broke my heart. She seemed so very small beside the huge grey stones. I almost went back to give one final kiss, one last goodbye, but I knew if I went back, I would never manage to leave again. Somehow, I kept walking. When I looked back the second time, she was gone. And that's the page and the chapter. I'm Jordana.
1: I'm Nick.
2: I'm Jeremy.
0: And It's kind of sad. Very
3: sad. It is
2: sad. And, like, I think on this page we get some idea that Foth actually is, like, he has really come to care for her and the life they've had together and he's really sad to be going. And he has to, like, force himself to leave.
3: This has, like, I feel like this this is probably just a me thing, but it feels like the last day of summer camp.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's extremely relatable, yeah. yeah right, like the, the last day world. of
3: sleepaway camp, yeah. and your parents are coming to pick you up, and you're going to go home, and you might never see some of those kids again. Mm-hmm. And it's and, so sad.
2: And you're being taken away from this wonderful, safe, supportive environment into the cold brutality and uncertainty of the the quote-unquote real world. Oh, yeah, yeah I... no,
3: so, see, I don't have that issue because uh, I got bullied a lot at camp, so as much as I made friends and I missed them, uh, home was a lot safer. <laughs> so, like, I do think, and I think the same could be said for Quoth. The real, like, the, the non Fey realm is a safer place for him, but he's I, still sad.
2: Uh, I mean, no one's actively trying to kill him in Fey, whereas some people are actively trying to I kill I mean, him.
3: things could actively kill him easily in Fae, though.
2: Yeah, but they're like wild animals, right? Like, yeah, he could get mauled by a bear in the real world, but, like, he also has, like, much... I i don't know. I think he'd be a lot safer in the Fae overall.
1: I want to talk about the Greystones. This is as There's close to confirmation them. as we get that the Greystones mark passageways between the worlds.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think I the fact th- that Falurian took him to Graystones should tell us that they do have this power
1: behind them. Yeah. I don't think it's as simple as like their portals. I know there's two of them, which seems unusual. And I I don't think that she like takes him between them and then goes through a portal. I think it's more like the the membrane between the two worlds is thin at Graystones, and she she hides <gasps> him. She hides makes him hise hide his eyes to like hide the process or whatever it is she does. If- and also, so Rothfuss doesn't have to reveal it just yet.
3: Okay, but what if the two gray stones are not actually two gray stones? They're one gray stone, but <gasps> you're seeing them because you're seeing both sides of- Jordana,
1: you're, you're so see- smart.
3: Right? Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I thank you.
1: <laughs> That's such a good read. I love right? it. Right? Because
3: you're seeing like the fey version and the non-fey version, but it's actually the same stone. You're just kind of getting a double vision effect.
1: Yeah, I love it. And maybe like as the moon moves- they overlap to be more and more perfectly overlapped. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very pleased with myself. Yeah, yeah.
2: You should be. That's uh, that's very clever. I wouldn't have thought of that.
3: Woot. I did a good thing today.
2: <laughs> I also like how subtle the differences are between Fae and the mortal world. It's just like a vibe in the air that both feels.
1: The tension is gone. That's what's interesting. That there's a tension in Fae.
2: Well, and he's described that tension to us before, like the feeling that he's like being watched by something, even though there's nothing around it to be watching him.
1: That does seem a little bit exhausting, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, I just I don't know. It doesn't seem like a place that feels very safe or comfortable.
2: Well, he seems to feel safe and comfortable there, though.
1: Yeah, well, he's having he's having constant sex with a sex elemental.
2: Yeah. So gets gets you gets you a fey host who can do that. (laughs) <laughs> what's the big deal and this they're like parting words to each other have this almost like mythic resonance to them which I, I find very pleasing
1: they do but like she's she's stripped of her magic she's stripped of her wonderment like juxtapose this with how she's first appears uh, what was it bathing combing her hair singing as a song about herself and alluring all the men to her and then the The wild chase and then this where she meekly and and smallly lets him go and he barely you know he almost doesn't look back he looks back once and then not again and she's very small and i'm not i'm not passing judgment on this i just think it's a very very interesting comparison between the two sequences and i do think that there is and there must be a uh a similarity between the two of them You know, I feel like if you were shooting this on camera, you would have Quoth moving left to right in the beginning, and then and Quoth and Florian on the right, and then now Florian's on the left, and Quoth is walking away, uh, right, left to right. I mean, that doesn't make sense to describe it that way. I don't know. I'm not actually a a filmmaker, and nor would I ever want to be. But to, to me, I feel like there's a clear bookend happening in their actions and also their countenances. I don't know
2: if I, I don't know, Florian doesn't feel to me like diminished in terms of her power or mystique here. But I do think I agree with you that there is a kind of symmetry to their their meeting and their parting. Because especially when she says her voice was lily soft with a whisper of a warning. Like when she says, accept your promise to return. I think that whisper of a warning is like, you know, it's a little bit of a threat. Like you promised to return, don't back out on me now
0: yeah that makes
3: sense i i I feel like warning and threat kind of the same feel
2: yeah there's there's like there is a distinction, but that distinction is subtle, as my school teachers sometimes said it's not a threat, it's a promise
0: <laughs>
3: Your school teachers said that to you sure,
2: because they couldn't threaten you can't threaten a kid that gets you in trouble, but if you
3: I know, promise, but the fact that they had to clarify that something wasn't a threat,
2: yeah, if they promised to punish you, that's different.
1: Anything else you want to say on this page? No, I'm good. You sure, Jordan? Oh, wait, sorry,
3: no. Yeah, I was distracted by Jeremy's threatening teachers. I mean, I mean, promising teachers. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, uh, it's the end of a chapter. This chapter was called Returning, because Quoth is returning to the mortal realm.
2: And because he returns to himself after his encounter with the Fae. That That
3: also makes uh, sense,
1: And he returns around the Greystones, when he's led in a circle. Boo!
3: <laughs> I think I'm with Jeremy on this one. Boo. Boo!
1: <laughs> Today's segment of Arthur's letter is Where Does the Slippage Go with Sigildry? Where does the slippage go? Where does it go? Kramer, where does the slippage go? Jerry, I got slippage. Does it go to the user? How does it know how it is using it even if it is uh, even if it has a clear user the creator super dangerous to create more than one device then the device itself this allows for incredible capacity to absorb slippage depending on this you could create near infinite power by using sigildry to create kinetic energy from ambient soil or water heat and send rockets to the moon or float all the buildings in the university or whatever you want um i suspect in my kind of understanding was that sigildry accounts for this that it has like slippage sinks and that you know a fair bit of it is ambient but this also brings to mind something that uh one-time guest of the show and friend of ours sasha liked to point out which is that the destructive potential of, of sympathy is really really high and we haven't actually seen sympathy weaponized uh yet and it's almost surprising that it hasn't been so you know again Maybe you're onto something. Or again, maybe a wizard did it.
2: Yes, I think it goes into the same space that the Animorphs' extra mass goes to when they change shape.
1: Yes. Uh, Although, with the Transformers, the canon explanation is they all have their own pocket dimension.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the explanation in the Animorphs as well. So there's like an extra-dimensional pocket space where they're. Is it really? Oh, that's sick. I really need to finish
1: reading Animorphs. I read like... 60% 60% of it when I was you know 12 when and you were of uh, the age to it yeah exactly but I never finished it and I gather that it ends in like a really interesting dark way and I've always been kind of tantalized but I don't know if I'm if I can go back and read however many 40 uh YA novellas
2: yeah I don't think you really need to you could probably just skip to the last two if you really wanted to I I'm in the same boat you know I read it for a while but I you know I I did not complete the series but as uh, as mass-produced YA goes, it was pretty great.
1: Yeah, it didn't talk down.
2: No. Change and it is stakes. that kind of like micro-generational thing where every, you know, when a millennial compares something in their life to a red-tailed hawk and you lock eyes and you know that you both recognize that comparison because you read Animorphs and you're thinking about Tobias. You know, that's that's an experience.
1: Yeah. Good times.
3: I have no idea what that's like.
2: Listener, we will inculcate Jordana into the mysteries of the Animorphs universe on tomorrow's page. Uh.
1: Jordana, picture a slug.
3: I've seen the front covers. Okay, I understand. No, no, no. Hang on. Let
1: no, me. No, no. Let me. You need to know this. Okay. Now, imagine that the slug goes into your ear, worms its way through the canals into your brain, and then presses itself around your brain, seeping into the creases yeah, and uh, it, like, taking it over total itself. motor control. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's pup—it's using your body like a meat puppet, and you're trapped inside your own body, helpless to stop as this alien parasite moves you around for its own inscrutable purposes.
3: Wait, that's what Animorphs about?
2: Those are the villains, the Yerks. Oh, opposed by the noble, elegant deer-like Andalites who eat grass with their hooves because they have no mouths and have gigantic, like scorpion tails.
3: Those are, the, those are the blue ones, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're the blue ones, yes. And they gift their their dying prince, Elfanger Eskeruth Isthil, gifts the six children with the, their greatest weapon, the power to morph, mm-hmm. upon crash landing on Earth and just before being discovered by Visser Three, leader of the Controllers, the invasion force. And these children, because the uh, Yerks cannot fathom the idea that humans have the morphing power, the... Uh, Yerks are on the lookout for six Andalites They believe there's an Andalite uh, Commando troop fighting them When really it's human children Mm -hmm.
2: Well one of them's an Andalite but we'll get to that
1: Eventually he's not in the initial group
2: No he's not much as we'll get to The the Yerks other slave races The the Hork-Bajir and the Taxons
1: taxons, yes we should do A podcast about Animorphs now Maybe not a page by page but I would gladly do A like one book at a time recap Of each Animorphs book
2: God thanks, help but No us. thanks, listeners. Uh, you can uh, tell us if you want to hear uh, page of the morphs on
1: tomorrow's page of, and Jordana has to be a cast member. The wind. No! <laughs> <Winning>! <laughs>